Walker Falls. Happy Thursday. No, you should learn Roshul Israelim. Mulai Naseta Shur Bavri. No? Dorotsim? Huh? What you should learn Roshul Israelim? Mulai Naseta Shur Bavri. Oh, no. Ah, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He's, he's, he's the man. He's, he's 90%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Lano Rov. No, nothing, no, no, no. I feel Rov, yes, Lano Rov. Okay. Um, so we are in Parshat Kitetze. Do you remember, Jacqueline, do you remember what we're up to? Yeah, I, Sanctity of the Camp. Sanctity of the Camp. Okay, I'm, going, I'm not even going to do it inside today because we're... Uh, it's taking us very long. We talked about the, the Edomite, all of that. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So, the sanctity of the camp, there are a number of mitzvot that pertain to Am Israel when they go out to war. Now, what's fascinating about these mitzvot is that, imagine, in other societies at the time, when the men are out to war, that's when you find them at their worst. Because already their animal instincts are coming out and they have all of this stuff of, uh, of killing and violence coming out. So it brings out all the other animal instincts as well. The Ramban says that because war is a time in which people are most prone to sinfulness, so the, general, the Torah is saying to generally be careful when you go out to battle to, to make sure not to be involved in such terrible things. Um, for example, they have to make sure to keep the camp clean. So the Torah says that if somebody has a seminal omission, they have to make sure he leaves the camp so he doesn't make it impure. Uh, they have to make sure to have shovels with them so that if they have to go to the bathroom, they don't do it in the middle of the camp. Make it clean and, and make sure... Make, and the reason Ramban says is because Borei Olam goes out to battle with us. So we treat the, the battlefront like we treat areas in the Mikdash. Which is a fascinating concept because specifically in the place where we are most prone to sin, we have this idea that Borei Olam is there, we have to treat it like with utmost Kedusha. Okay? Uh, next, and that's what the Torah says He's walking in your, he's going in your camp. It's a beautiful psukim, people don't appreciate it, right? But you have to um, just imagine how, how this would have compared to. The, the armies at the time, what they were probably, the camp of those armies was probably like, different story. Okay? Next, if you're out to war, then what typically happens when you're out to war? You, you go to battle, and then uh, you, you're, um, all of a sudden you see some poor guy running across the battle lines to try to get to the other side, to try to get to your side. Who would that be? Girls, women. Women or slaves. Okay. So the next mitzvah is Do not give back the slave to its master. If you find a slave running away from its master, and the halakha says even if it's a Jewish master, if you find that slave that's running towards Israel, from whether it's a Jewish master or a non-Jewish master, you're not allowed to return the slave. You have to give them harbor. You have to give them, you have to give them safety. Another fascinating idea, because uh, I read in here from in Hammurabi's code, which was like another legal text at the same around the same time of the Torah. 
if somebody, what, an honorable contrast to the law of Hammurabi, which condemned to death anyone who sheltered a slave. So in the competing cultures, the total opposite. The competing cultures, if you shelter a slave, you get killed. And why would they do that? Because all these people, they wanted to preserve their power. So they said, okay, anybody who, who harbors a slave, you would kill him. That way they could protect their institution of slavery. The Torah is doing the exact opposite. A slave comes to you, you protect him. <coughs> then there is some general mitzvot of you're not allowed to... The, the, the Torah asks for there not to be harlotry, whether male or female harlotry, in the land of Israel. And on top of that, if there is to be harlotry, you cannot use the payment... Let's say you, the, the, um, use, ex, you exchange, for a person does this and he exchanges for, uh, for a harlot. He has some coins that he used, that he used to exchange for uh, the hire of a harlot. Those cannot be brought to the Bet HaMikdash. So you can't use the money that was used for such things as donations to the Bet HaMikdash. That's another idea. Next, do not charge interest to your brother, whether it's, Interest of money or interest of food Meaning you can't give them food And say okay here are 10 apples I want 12 apples back No Now what is this referring to? This is referring to people that are poor People that, have, that are falling on hard times When people are falling on hard times They have two options Either they can go hungry Or they can take a loan They have no other option So if the loan that they charge is with interest Then you're further putting them in, into, the debt. into the debt, which will end up causing them to become a slave, which will take their poverty and turn it into slavery, which is even a lower level. So, uh, so you're not allowed to tra- charge interest. Now, when are you allowed to charge interest? No, yeah, vadai. There is this idea of a heteriska, which is in the case of a business venture, of course you're allowed to, like, that's, that's not what the halakha in the Torah is talking about. Now, in the t- technical halakha, they made no distinction between business and non-business. So the chachamim made like a loophole for people who are in the business. Because the mitzvah is not, it's not saying if you go to some landlord, you can't charge him interest on your mortgage. That, that's the way finance works. You need to charge interest on the mortgage. Otherwise, nobody will be able to buy any property and the whole economy will fall apart. The Torah is talking about when you have an opportunity to give tzedakah to the person who is struggling, give it without interest. Now what happens to the business guy? The Chachamim made a loophole called the Heteriska. The way it works, I remember I once studied the nature of the Heteriska. It's something like, instead of, they restructure the money you're giving, not as a loan, but as an investment in which when they pay you back, they're paying you back profits on a venture. Something interesting like that. But yeah, there is a loophole to make sure that we are, there is an allowance to, to lend money to Jews in a business venture. Now, when are you allowed to, according to the Torah, because that came later, right? According to the text, what we're looking at here, when do you charge interest? To the non-Jews. Now, what's interesting is that we have another place in, in the Torah where it says, even to the Ger who lives in Israel, you must not charge interest. Which is interesting. Because here it's saying, to the Nukhri, you charge interest. So what's going on? So... The halachic interpretation of that is that the ger in that pasuk is not referring to the non-Jew who lives amongst you, but to the ger tzedek, to the Jew who lives amongst you. Because technically we are allowed to charge interest to goyim. 
But I read a beautiful uh, perush in the, the Hertz Kumash. He said, no, it works like this. Who is a Nukhri? A Nukhri is a person who comes from outside of Israel. Who is a Ger? A Ger is a Goy who's living inside of Israel. To the Gerim who live inside of Israel, you have to treat them like your brethren. You cannot charge interest. If they're poor, you treat them well. That's to the, even to the non-Jews living in Israel. But to the Goyim who live outside of Israel, you do charge interest. Now why do you charge interest to the Goyim living outside of Israel? This is the brilliant idea of the Hertz Chumash. Because not because they're on the Holy Land. Because why would a Goy come into the Holy Land typically? At the merchants. Who were all these Nukhrim that they always speak about in the Torah? These are merchants that used to pass through Eretz Israel, doing business along the way. So to those people who are passing through Israel for business purposes, them you could do, of course you could do interest, because they're just merchants. They're, they need to buy some goods so they can sell more. So you're, of course you're allowed to charge interest to them. So that's what a nukhri is, according to the Hertz Kumash. It's a fascinating idea, which means that the real intent of the Torah is to say that to anybody living in Israel, you cannot charge interest. But to people who are using it for business reasons, you could. Okay, good. Next. Whenever you make a, a vow to God, you have to make sure to pay it. Meaning, if you vow to bring a korban, you make sure to pay it. Why would a person think that he should make a vow? Because korbanot are good, right? They used to make vows to bring korbanot. So, okay, korban is a good thing, so let me make a vow to encourage myself to bring more. Torah says, no, no, no. It's much more important for you to bring less korbanot and to keep your word. So that's the, the next mitzvah. Next, whenever you work in your friend's field... One of the dispensations, the, the permissions that the person has is, let's say I work in a vineyard, I'm allowed to eat throughout the day, I'm allowed to pluck grapes and eat them. Because that's considered like part of my pay. What am I not allowed to do? To bring a, a basket to work with me and to pluck grape, fill it up and then take it home. No, no, no. He's going to pay you. If you want to eat in the middle because you're hungry, you're looking at the grapes, it's almost like... You know, it says one of the mitzvot we're going to learn is lo tachsom shor bedisho. Whenever a, an ox is in the middle of threshing, you cannot muzzle it. Because then you're causing it pain because it's looking at food and you're muzzling it so it's not allowed to, so it's, it's like making it suffer. So Torah allows you to pluck grapes because you're working on these grapes. Miskin, like, you know, they look so juicy. Mm -hmm. You can take one for yourself. But to take a basket home, that's already considered payment. So that you have to, you cannot do. You have to let him, you have to wait for him to actually pay you. And same thing with the harvesting. You cannot grab, uh, bring a, uh, a harvesting tool and take a whole bunch of wheat. No, if you want, you could take one piece for yourself, but you can't do more. Okay, next. Uh, the next part talks about the idea of the get, that whenever uh, a man does not want a woman, he can give her a get to divorce her. And it talks about the law that if the woman were to marry another man, then she cannot go back to the first husband. Okay, so once the woman marries a second time, she becomes a sort of the first husband. So there are interesting reasons why the halakha is like this. One is that this discouraged, potentially people could have made a loophole where they could divorce their wives, trade their wife to someone, and then they could get, get their wife back on day three. You know, they could divorce their wife on day one, trade the wife on day two, and then get the wife back on day three. And we, know, we know that people do this because people do this. Let's uh, in people. People uh, they have this mindset towards their wives that this is this is what they do. Torah is discouraging that it's all asur. 
The second she's with another man, she becomes a sort of the first one. So if you want to play games and play games with the divorce laws, just so you could do something that is very popular in culture, it's to protect actually the marriage. It's to protect, it's to protect the marriage from an unnecessary divorce. You know, that, that's, that's, uh, that's the second concept here, is the husband knows that if his wife remarries, he cannot get her back. So he's going to think twice before he divorces her. So this is for the protection of the marriage. Uh, then there is the mitzvah of shana rishona. After that. That when a person marries, in the first year of his marriage, he cannot go out to war. He must be with his wife. And he must make her happy. Okay, next. When a person... Yeah, I won't forget. When a person is... Uh, he lends money. You want to take collateral. What are the types of things that you're allowed to take as collateral? Only things that the person does not need for his livelihood. So if the person has like a threshing tool or something that he grinds food with, that's very important for his livelihood. So you're not allowed to use that as your collateral. So I oh, lend him a thousand dollars, so I, I need to take, I could take like his Rolex, because you don't need a Rolex to live, right? But if he has like a, like a pestle, a mortar and a pestle that he uses to crush his food, that's a sort to take. Next, human trafficking. If a person takes kidnaps a person, the death penalty. Okay, so this was to stop, uh, today we have a big problem in the US of human trafficking for sex trade. They, they drug people, they, they, they kidnap them and then they take them and use them as a prostitute or something. So, and that happens all across the world. In Israel, Asur. Anybody who does that, death penalty, okay? Very strict punishment. Next, be careful with the Tzara'at. If you have a person as Sara'at, keep the laws of the Sara'at. Remember how Miriam got Sara'at, and even by Miriam, they kept the laws. They sent her outside the camp. So you think, oh, this person is an honorable person. It's not, let's bend the laws a little for them. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Even Miriam, they, she, had they, she had to spend seven days outside. Good. Another interpretation of this is that it's referring to Lashon Hara. Hishamer Benega, I read in Chafetz Chaim, he, said, he claims that the perush of the Pasuk is be careful with the Sara'at. Meaning, be careful with Lashon Hara, lest you get Tzara'at. Do not say Lashon Hara, because you may get Tzara'at. Okay? Um, let's see. Okay, you lend money against your friend, and now you have a credit against him. How do you collect? Are you allowed to go into his house to take the money? No. No. Bachutz Tamon. You have to stand outside of his house. And if he wants to repay his debt... He will pay it back by himself. He will come out of the house and pay you. You're not allowed to go into his house to take by force. Because you may think, he owes me the money, so it's technically mine, so let me just go take it. God says, no, even when he owes it to you, it's still not technically yours. You don't have the right to walk into his home. The home is the person's private, private domain. If he's a poor person, do not sleep with the collateral. You, yes. you lend him money, so you take his, uh, you take his uh, shirt, let's say, as collateral. Are you allowed to... See? No, you have to give it back to him every night. So that he can sleep with it. Okay? And if you do, then he, will, then he will wear his clothes at night, the clothes that he knows are technically yours for now, and he will bless you. And it will be for you a good thing whenever the person blesses you. From here we see that when a person is on the hard times, the tefilot are extra powerful. Because the Torah says, he will sleep with his garment and he will bless you out of the joy that he's getting to use the garment that he doesn't even own. And for you it will be a good thing. From here we see that that prayer that the poor person has is a very, very strong and good prayer. 
uh, whenever you have hired work, you have to pay them, and they're, let's say they're paid daily, you must pay them daily. You cannot pay them the next day. Why? Because if you're, you don't know what the situation of the person is. And if their rent is coming due on the first of the month, and you decide to delay their payment to the third of the month, they may fall behind on their rent payment. So for two days, the rent landlord is going to be chasing them. So whenever, so whenever you promise to pay your workers, it always has to be on time. That's the intent of the law here. And now we have the opposite. And if you do not pay on time, He's impoverished. So he may cry out to Hashem, and for you it will be sinful. From here we see again that the prayer of the person who is impoverished has a lot of power. Because the Torah says, be careful not to be on the wrong side of that tefillah. You know? uh, next, fathers cannot die for sons. There are two interpretations of this, of this uh, thing. Either it means you cannot kill the father and son in the same day, meaning in, in let's say... Uh, like the birth. Yeah, but this is talking about humans. Yes. Or it's talking about the court systems. The court systems, they cannot punish the son on behalf of the father. Which was also, if you look in Hammurabi's code, which we referenced before, in Hammurabi's code, okay. they did it. Wow. If you have the father's sins, okay, punishment for the father's sin is we kill the son. I say you kill the son. In the Torah, you kill the father for the father and the son for the son. You don't kill the, you don't kill the son for the father. Okay, next. The person for his own sin, he shall die. Do not twist the judgment of the ger and the yatom, of all the poor people in their society. Do not twist their judgment. And you remember that you were a slave in Egypt. The source for all of the goodness of our society comes from the fact that we were slaves in Egypt and we know what suffering is like. Because we know, we know what it feels like to suffer. We make sure to be very careful. Um, then there's mitzvot of tzedakah. You should leave the leftovers of your field for the poor. Uh, and then... It falls, uh, on the floor, uh, it falls on the floor, do not touch it. The corners you should leave. You should leave some of the leftover grapes that are not as good. You should leave them for the poor. And all of this, all of this again, what's the source of this mitzvah? Because you remember that you were slaves in Egypt and you were poor once. So remember to think about the poor. Okay, so we are almost done. We did a lot today. Uh, maybe I'll try to summarize the rest of Bezer Hashem tomorrow. We're, we're almost, almost done. Baruch Adonai Lulam. Amen. Amen.